Welcome into a special uh, road edition of the Commitment Issues podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined uh, on our new Sunday format by a special guest this time, Chris Clark from Gamecock Central. Chris covers South Carolina for us. Chris, how are you doing on this lovely Sunday morning? I'm doing well, Woody. I appreciate you honoring me with the uh, opportunity to be on the podcast this morning. Well, you know, Dave Lackford asked me if he could do it, and I, I said, now Chris Clark's going to do it. And he said, who's Chris Clark? So, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Okay, I see how it is. <laughs> hey, 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 Mike, Mike Farrell knows who I am, and he runs the network pretty much, right? Uh, so. Take that, Lackford. Shots fired. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, well, we, we hope to have you on under better circumstances. Unfortunately, you, you join us to talk about uh, South Carolina getting hammered uh, by Georgia. Final score, 41-17. to 17. We were talking about it right before we started recording. I was actually at a game, and I was listening to the uh, – to the radio broadcast, listen to the Georgia broadcast, which actually I thought their play-by-play announcer was pretty good. I'm not sure who his name is, but I, I'm old school. I love listening to games on the radio, uh, especially when I'm at like a high school game. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty, seemed like it was pretty even, obviously, you know, the, the early on, the picks, the weird pick six were with the ball being dropped at the goal line. There being all types of confusion there with the replay and, and CBS and whatnot. And then it, it seemed like South Carolina recovered, uh, Brian Edwards had a huge game, but the third quarter, uh, things kind of fell apart. So just kind of give us your rundown on, on what happened. Did you really feel like it was as bad as 41-17, or, or uh, you know, do you think it could have been a little closer had uh, things gone a little differently, especially early? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the final score was pretty indicative of how it went, actually, in the second half. Um, you know, one thing I mentioned to you before we came on here was that in the first half, you know, you're looking at a situation where, you know, South Carolina was down by 10 at the half, right? And and it could have been better, certainly. Um, I don't think they ever fully, fully recovered after that pick six, and that was very early. Instead of continuing a solid drive, then you have one basically go off the pads, um, and then it gets returned, and, you know, uh, DeAndre Baker dropped it short of the goal line, and it was picked up by one of their linebackers, you know, right there at the goal line and run in, and, and didn't even notice that live, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, that was a really tough play, and then South Carolina digs itself into a hole by giving up another score. So th- then you're down in a hole, and they really fought back, you know, and cut it closer. Um, it was a seven-point game right before the half, and South Carolina couldn't get anything going on a drive. Um, and they have to punt it. And Joseph Charlton, their punter, is is really, really solid. He's, he's a big 6'5 kid with a big leg. He's already hit some boomers even through two games this season um, and did in this game, but he happened to shank one. And so it gave Georgia a really good field position. They were able to, you know, drive down a little bit and get uh, Blankenship into field goal range, and, and they kicked a field goal right there near the end of the half. So now instead of being down seven, you're down ten. And so you're giving up some momentum. Um, then South Carolina comes out second half, um, Georgia got the ball first, but South Carolina, I think they went three and out on their first, like three drives and and Georgia really was able to start imposing their will, running the football. They're very good on third down. There was a huge rushing disparity in the game. Um, and that's one of the keys that we pointed to beforehand is that, you know, last season in Athens, Georgia outgained South Carolina on the ground, but pretty much 200 yards on the nose, just about. Um, and this year it was the same. At the end of the day, South Carolina didn't manage much on the ground. Now, early on, their design was to put 
empty personnel out, try to tire out Georgia's pass rushers, but they had a few key mistakes, and I think that really took them out of their game plan a little bit, and Georgia did what Georgia does so well in the second half by running the ball and controlling the clock. South Carolina just couldn't make enough big plays, couldn't get off the field defensively, couldn't make enough big plays on offense. Yeah, why why can't South Carolina seem to run against Georgia? I mean, I, if you thought it was going to happen, this would be the year Georgia breaking in some new D linemen. But like you said, uh, the Gamecocks, 20 carries for 54 yards. I mean, it's brutal. And now I, I would say, you know, as an outsider, you know, coming in that, that South Carolina doesn't see, really have that, you know, true star running back like they've had in the past. I know people like, you know, some of the guys they have, but they don't. I've, I feel like if you look at, you know, they don't have a DeAndre Swift or even if I feel like if you put Elijah Holyfield, you know, on South Carolina, he would probably be their number one guy. Do you think that's the issue or do you think it's an offensive line issue? Well, you know, there's been a lot of hope in Columbia that they could get markedly better in the run game this season. And, you know, they went out, they completely dominated Coastal Carolina in that in that category. I mean, they ran watching the film of that game, they they blocked the run extremely well and the running backs look very good too. Now, Coastal is of course not even in the same stratosphere as Georgia and they're not a good football team at all, but I th- I thought there were some encouraging signs from the guys up front. You know, some of the moves they made, Zach Bailey inside, Donnell Stanley inside, Sidarius Hutcherson um, you know, is a player with a lot of upside who's come a long way. They look to be improved, and then the backs are all healthy. You know, their top three guys in Dowdle and Tyson Williams, A.J. Turner, were all healthy for that game and looked really good. So I don't think anybody took that to mean, okay, th- this is going to be a, a completely different running team this year. They're just going to be dominant. But um, they were dominant in week one enough to where you say, okay, there, there's some good signs here. But um, it was it was not good against Georgia again. Part of it by design. I mean, you, you gave the number twelve carries. So obviously they're not they're not you know running the ball a lot late in the game. Obviously they were trying to play from behind, so they had to pass it a little bit more. Um, and early on when they came out, I mean they opened the game literally in in empty personnel. So they're not trying to run the ball very early. Um, Georgia, you know, really really shut them down in some in some second short, third and short situations during that game as well. So. I think it's hard to put your finger on it. I think one thing is is there wasn't a commitment to running the football in this game, even though um, you know the, the staff talked about wanting to be balanced and things like that. I think the game just got away to maybe the, where they couldn't um, as much, and when they tried, it, it wasn't going very well. Um, and I, I do think it's going to be a better rushing team this season overall. I think Georgia's front is still really good. Um, you know, yeah, they're replacing some guys, but they still got a lot of guys up there who've played a good bit of ball for them and a ton of talent. So, I mean, um, it's just hard to sort of pinpoint what it was other than Georgia just really beat them up front. It's, it's amazing. As I was looking through, uh, and I was watching the game, like I said, I was kind of following along on my phone, streaming and coming in and out. The amount of guys like that, that crossover from the recruiting perspective from these two schools i mean mm-hmm. the players that that south carolina recruited that ended up you know at georgia the players from georgia that are on south carolina the one guy came to mind for me was uh, miko hardman uh, watching him he had a huge game obviously yesterday um and if you remember we were at that camp in the stadium probably the first time we saw him i think when he was like a sophomore in high school you remember that 
I remember it extremely well. I mean, he, he was a kid you could tell was special. And was he a sophomore? Yeah. He was really young, I remember. And we saw him at uh, when they used to have the Gamecock Showcase when Coach Spurrier was still in town. And he absolutely put on a show. I mean, he was just absolutely electric. And uh, then, you know, had the chance to continue watching him progress throughout his high school career. I remember <clears throat> I remember when Nicole and um, Demetrius Robertson came to, I guess, the Atlanta. Was it the Atlanta or maybe they came oh, to Charlotte, Charlotte for some reason? Yeah, they came to Charlotte and they were sort of battling each other one-on-one, just switching off reps at receiver and defensive back. You went, man, these kids are really something else. So, yeah, I mean, Hardman's a guy that if you let him into space, he's going to make you pay and and – you know, they lost contain on him on the edge yesterday, and he, he ran and made a big play. And then they had man coverage on the outside one time and, and somehow lost him in man coverage, and he, he made a big catch down to about the five. So he's just really fast and really electric and uh, is someone that he, he's, he can just score or make a big play anytime he touches the ball. Well, what's amazing, you mentioned they lost him on the one. I mean, I, I saw a replay where it looked like the guys had the angle and he just he just outran it. He was just so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they just – you sort of just if, – if you lose him for a minute or if you don't take the right angle, he'll he'll just run right past you. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you look at this Georgia team. They walked, they walked like, what, 30, 31 seniors. And not all those guys are huge contributors or players, but a lot of them were. And then they lose Roquan Smith and Trent Thompson and – and you go, well, surely they're going to fall off. But, I mean, th- this team from from its first team, it's starting 22, down to second, ter- third team, they're as talented as anybody in the country still. And, and they do have inexperience. But, man, offensively, um, I don't really think they miss a beat. They'll probably be better this season offensively than they were last year, which is really something when you're talking about losing Isaiah Wynn and you're talking about losing Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. But they may be better offensively. And, I think the questions are on defense. I thought South Carolina would be able to move the ball and score some points in this game. I thought this would be a game that would be, you know, 31-27, 34-30, something like that. And they just, at the end of the day, uh, just couldn't manufacture enough. And some of that was just Georgia playing really well, and some of it was South Carolina making some mistakes that, that they couldn't afford to make. Well, yeah, and they got once you get behind, you got to get one-dimensional, as we talked about it. And Georgia's got so many pass rushers they can tee off uh on bentley at that point when when we run through i've been saying uh i've been saying that it would not surprise me i guess lsu is looking like a stiffer test now i had been saying all along that i expected georgia to be 10 and or 9 and 0 going into the auburn game uh with this being their toughest game um and i still think uh that's the case go now at lsu though kind of looms large so that'll be the next big game but i fully i picked georgia to make the college football playoff i i, I always like the way their schedule kind of broke down uh getting to south carolina you know they're going to try to bounce back um i'm trying to remember who they play next week marshall next week out of conference so yeah, so, yeah. i mean their next hard their next tough game in my opinion the next game they should they should uh, be a question would probably be Texas A&M. Uh, and then outside of that, it's Clemson. So, I mean, I, 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 there's no reason that South Carolina can't win nine or 10 games in my opinion. I know you said it's, it's panic among the Gamecock fan base, but I still think this is a good team. Uh, and I, I, in Bentley, I trust, you know? Well, and, and I think, yeah, I don't think people need to flush the season by – it was certainly a disappointing loss just it, sort of in how they lost the game, especially the second half, I think, was really demoralizing for the team and for fans. Um, and I don't think people need to take losing to Georgia, who 
I mean, really looks sort of like Alabama East right now. You know, I mean, they're just they're just really good. Um, and, and maybe they go out and lose a couple games. They're not as good as we think. That's possible. But they're they a really good football team. And when you make some mistakes early um, and, and dig yourself that hole, you're, you're going to lose to a lot of good teams. And so that's what they did. So, I mean, I don't think people need to take it and sort of extrapolate it and, and project it onto the rest of the season and say the outlook's way worse now. I, I mean, it was a disappointing game. I think time will tell whether South Carolina sort of laid an egg or with some of the issues that were shown in that game are going to carry over. I mean, look, they've got to go they got to go play at Kentucky. I mean, that's a team that's beat them four years in a row, sometimes inexplicably, but that'll be a difficult game. Um and and so they got to go win that. A&M at home, I think after watching A&M last night against Clemson, I think that's a more difficult. I, th- I always thought it was a difficult game. I think it's even more difficult because of the problems that Kellen Mond's going to present their receivers how fast their defense is. Um, you know, I think a lot of these teams are going to be challenging for South Carolina. I don't think they're going to run away even in the games that they do win. But I do think they can still have, you know, a very, very good season this year. I agree. All right. So let's uh, – you got your fix. My problem is, you know, we bring you on the show. We're supposed to put – we're supposed to present this to your audience, but I'm sure they're not in any mood to listen to any more coverage uh of the game but if if you want to check out chris's stuff go to gamecockcentral.com all types of uh, coverage there moving on let's let's run through the top 25 alabama they beat arkansas state 57 to 7 no doubt about that one there was some weird controversy i don't know if you were following it uh our, our alabama side even reported that jalen hurts wasn't on the field uh, at the beginning of warm-ups it was just mac jones and uh and tua then uh, eventually he comes out. Then there were reports uh, late in the week that that Hertz was going to redshirt, and he had a redshirt agreement in place, and he was only going to play if needed. So this was a game where you thought, okay, he's not going to play. Mac Jones will come in and be the backup, but then Hertz plays anyway, and all that goes out the window. Did you follow any of that drama at all, Chris? I, I did see that, and that was sort of strange, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that whole deal has been a little bit strange. It seems like there's been almost some unnecessary drama over just how it's been handled. And Saban's been very uh very salty with how uh with how he's handled it, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't follow to see if he yelled at anybody this week. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> uh, Alabama keeps cruising along uh, you know, easy easy going against Arkansas State. Uh Clemson uh and Texas AM, this was probably the game of the day. Uh twenty eight twenty six. I know I was in the press box at the uh Independence Bowl here in lovely Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, some so it was a it was a weather delay, and uh, you know they have like a couple of booster areas up in the press box where I think some VIPs could go sit and watch the game, watch their high school team play, and they were in there. Well, they decided to spill out into the press box area because there were TVs in there. You know when the rain delay was happening, and some dude just grabs the remote. And tries to change the channel to the LSU game, and it, and I was like, uh, and it, he messed up all the TVs at once in the middle of a play during the Clemson Texas A and M game, and I, and you could imagine, you know, I'm not one to hold my tongue, and I was like, who are you? What are you doing? Like, what? Why are you in here right now? And he was like, oh, my son's an assistant coach for. I'm like, no, dude, this is the press box. This is not the my son's an assistant coach box. Why would you think you could come in, just grab the remote, and start changing channels? He was like, well, this, I was trying to change this TV. It was on the, the news. I said, yeah, because the Penn State game starts in three minutes on that TV. So then I, I took all the remotes, 
it was eight TVs. I took all the remotes. I programmed all the TVs and and uh, and then took, you 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 held the remotes in, in yeah, a baggie for the rest of the game. Yeah, I got right, you exactly. <laughs> I had to out dad the dad. So uh, bottom line it was an exciting game. Clemson looked like they were going to pull away, uh, but you know Texas A and M man, who would have thought Jimbo? As we're two weeks in here. It looks like Jimbo Fisher might have been a pretty good coach. Uh, you know, as, as uh, Florida State fans couldn't wait to kick him out the door, including the aforementioned Dave Lackford. What? I mean, this is Texas A&M is, in my opinion, they're ready to roll. Kellen Mond, who was who was a five star in our rankings, albeit begrudgingly, as it was only Mike Farrell who overruled <laughs> all of us. I mean, he looks he looks like a stud. Does he have four hundred and thirty yards passing last night against Clemson's defense? Well, they put up a statistic uh, late in that game when he had less than four hundred. I think he was at three something at that point. And that was the most passing yards that Clemson had given up since twenty thirteen, I believe it was. So, I mean, he, yeah, he had a huge performance. Um, you know, Rogers, the receiver for Texas A and M, every time he called a ball, it was like the most dramatic catch in college football history. It was like. You know, there you call it one or his entire, I mean, his body completely bent backwards. His foot got, I don't know how he didn't break his foot and his leg and his ankle all at once and his back. You know, I mean, somebody, Mark Fields just jumped right under him, you know, took his legs out from under him. He caught that ball. Um, he caught that one down in the end zone that got tipped by Kayvon Wallace um, and, and several other ones. I mean, they had a lot of really, really big plays. And yeah, Kell in mind, that it just goes to show you. A quarterback who's mobile that can extend plays for you, and he made some plays running the football too. But his just his ability to extend plays and keep his eyes downfield, then his receivers came up huge. Um, I mean that that was the difference. That's what kept them in that game. And A and M made some big defensive plays too. And I think, I mean, anybody who's watched A and M over the past few years, you could always tell these guys have a lot of talent. They have a lot of athletes, and and they've lost some of those guys, but um. You know, certainly it looks like Jimbo Fisher has them ready to roll early. And I think that's something that you, you look at that game. I think both teams will continue to grow from it. And A&M, I think, uh, got a stiff early test and they didn't win the game. Uh, but I think they're going to be a contender maybe sooner than some of us thought and be able to give people some tough games in the West. Yeah, exactly. This is not, you know, now, now when they line up against Alabama and Auburn and, and teams like that, we're going to have some fun games to watch. Yeah, you mentioned uh I mean, Rodgers, he was out there. I mean, the, some of the balls that Mond fit into those windows, too, for him to make the plays, that was amazing. Uh, Mond went down with an injury, too. So, I, ha- uh, I have one more rant, if you don't mind, about that game. Okay, so, well, it, and it's not, you know, not that I cared about the outcome. I just thought it was a great game. But if I'm, if I'm an offensive coordinator, the two-point play – you know, Jimbo Fisher did a really good job in that game, I think, calling plays. And I know you're very limited with what you can do on a two-pointer, right? But um, I, I do not call a sprint, even with an athletic quarterback, I don't call the sprint out to the right any anymore because it's what people seem to run on two points almost all the time. Sometimes it does work, yeah, and d- down near the goal line. But I think every defense in the country is prepping for that play now. It's probably the the one that you prepare for the most. I remember Louisville tried to run one against Clemson a few years ago, and Clemson said they had rep for it all week and just completely shut it down. You shrink the field even more. And, um, you know, I was reading a piece where uh, one of the Eagles defensive backs was talking about playing the Falcons last year, playing Matt Ryan and the Falcons, and they basically snuffed out a very similar play where you sprint out because teams are sort of scared to run the ball down there. So I know your options are limited, but – 
watching that play, I looked at it and I said, "There, you know, even before the snap, I said they're probably running sprint out to the right, and it's probably not going to work." <laughs> That's what happened. So, uh, you know, you you feel for Texas A and M because they they man they worked so hard to get into that position. But uh, you know, you credit Clemson for for being able to get a big stop there. Then it looked like they're definitely ready for that play. Well, yeah, if defensive coordinator Chris Clark is sniffing it out. That's that's probably right. That that's a, a good, good rule. Yeah, I mean it's a good rule. If I sniff it out, it's not not good. I use that rule when I'm when I'm filming high school games, and if they run some type of uh, misdirection, and if I don't get fooled as the cameraman, I'm like, there's no way you're fooling <laughs> any of these actual you know good football players uh, on the field when you're running you know. The, especially these wing T offenses, which just drive me insane. So uh, it was a great game. You mentioned Mond. I mean, you know, in high school, watching him play, he was basically like there was a Tim Tebow single wing type situation. I mean, they were uh, even at IMG where he was loaded with talent, including uh, his teammate, uh, Jamon Osborne, they would literally snap him the ball and he would run. I mean, I went to a game where he had 38 carries. So <laughs> for him to be throwing for 400 yards against Clemson's defense is, is pretty amazing. I, I If I'm a Clemson fan, I, I'm still – hey, listen, it's survive in advance. That was an insane environment. I was actually in College Station on – uh, one of the days earlier this week, I don't know, I've been all <laughs> over the place and, uh, they were getting ready for the game, you know, as early as I think it was Wednesday. Uh, you know, so that's, that was a crazy place to play. And, you know, this is definitely our first uh, great game of the year. Trevor Lawrence came in and this is for the old, this is a, I tweeted it. This is for the stars don't matter. People Trevor Lawrence comes in on his first play. Floats a ball up to uh, T. Higgins, who snags it out of the air and then breaks two tackles and runs for a touchdown. And that's five star to five star. Kellen Mond was a five star, as I mentioned. I mean, this game was full of them, and you see it. I mean, this is where you know the the, the stars do matter when you get in these type of matchups. Don't you think? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and and Lawrence. Look, I mean, Lawrence. Give him a lot of credit for coming in there and just right off the bat saying "screw it" and and throwing that thing up. But I mean, that 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 to me was even more T. Higgins. You know, I mean, that was really, that was really something. I mean, he see he seemed to almost miss time his jump, but he's just so, such an explosive leaper that he just hung in the air for like an hour and, and brought the ball down. And I mean, Lawrence has certainly done a lot of good things. You can see the flashes of of why he's so highly regarded. He, he's so big, uh, has a quick release, really, really good thrower. Even, even on throws that, that look simple and aren't, you know, he just sort of makes it look easy. And it's just an interesting dynamic they have with him and Kelly Bryant, who's really, I mean, Bryant still shows those flashes of not being totally accurate, but he's all, he also makes some huge plays for Clemson and really gives them that running element that makes him uh, incredibly difficult to defend. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you talk about handling a quarterback situation. I feel like right now that Dabo's doing it perfectly, don't you? Yeah, you know that's the interesting thing is that right now it it does seem like it's going pretty well. Um, you, you sort of get the feel, you know, like K- Kelly Bryant and, and I don't know the inner workings. I mean, our guys at TI would know a lot more about it. You know, you, you get the feel that Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence aren't exactly you know, going and hanging out on the lake together um, on, on off days. But but so far it is working pretty good, and I think it pushes them a lot of both. Kelly Bryant's a kid who, I mean, they're both very competitive, and I know Kelly Bryant certainly believes he's he's deserving of being the starter and probably playing every snap, but I think that's helped make him better. And that, I mean, look, any position where you got competition, 
it's going to make all the guys around you better. I've, I've seen that at South Carolina some this offseason, and uh, it certainly appears to be working for them right now. It's just a really interesting dynamic, and I'm, I'm curious to see how it continues to play out this season. Well, you remember when Bryant was in high school, most people thought he was going to be a tight end. I mean, there was yeah. there was there were a lot of people. I mean, I was kind of out on a limb there for quite, for quite some yeah, time. Sure. I mean, he, he I watched him play. I think he was a sophomore junior at Abbeville and they were, you know, they were running the the option or wing tee whatever they were running at the time. I can't even recall and you know, you could tell you looked at him and said, "Okay, this kid's big. He he's got an arm. The mechanics are not there and he's not very accurate right now." Yeah, man, if this kid could ever put it together, he could really be something. And he has really come a long way um, in terms of just being able to throw the ball. He's not as polished or has much upside throwing it as, as say, Trevor Lawrence. But, uh, I mean, to, to be able to do what he's done, he's really, really come a long way with that. Yeah, and no, I was talking to uh, some of the Clemson coaches last year at this time, and they had told me that coming out of the spring, I guess in 2017, that Hunter Johnson was probably going to be the quarterback, and something changed. It was either going to be Johnson or Cooper, and then that, that Bryant might have been third string. Yeah. And something changed from spring into fall camp, and he came and took the job and won it, and obviously no looking back. And like you said, I think things are working well. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the whole thinking was, well, what happens when you get in a tight situation and you're playing these two quarterbacks? Well, guess what? They, they just were, and they just did, and they won. So, um, you know, we'll be following that going forward. That, that was a, a truly great game there. All right, moving on. Ohio State Rutgers, 52-3. Uh, to three, Ohio State continues to dominate. Uh, Tate Martell, uh, <laughs> I'm a friend of me of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> he came in. He got some time yesterday. Had some carry, eight carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, uh, he, look, he looked pretty good. I'm sure you didn't see much of this one, though. No, uh, I wasn't able to catch that. I did – what I did – Dwayne Haskins, uh, very impressive. It looks like yeah, he's really doing a good he's job. He's awesome. Yeah, Tate was also ten of ten passing. So I mean, take that for data. That's a uh, that's a pretty good game. Uh, Wisconsin hammers New Mexico forty five to fourteen. Jonathan Taylor, two hundred fifty three yards and three touchdowns. Uh, people don't continue to refer to him as a three star recruit, even though he was on the rivals two fifty. So uh, <laughs> you have that to look forward to for the rest of the season. Uh, Oklahoma, UCLA. This one was a little closer than we expected for a little bit. Oklahoma ends up winning 49 to 21. I know I saw my friend, uh, George Reister, who played in the NFL. Uh, he was a tight end for the Jaguars, actually played at Oregon. And he, he said that, uh, there's no way UCLA wasn't going to cover the spread over, over his dead body. And guess what? I think he was right. That it was a 30 point spread and it was 49 to 21. My math uh, checks out. So big shot to George <laughs> on getting on going out on a limb and getting that one right. Kyler Murray continues to look awesome. Uh, I did think early, and uh, Josh McQuestion, who covers Oklahoma for us, tweeted this. The UCLA was getting their hands on a lot of balls, batting some passes down, uh, and I think that's something to monitor. That was one of the concerns I have always had with Murray: is if you can get pressure on him and you have an athletic defense, uh, you can cause problems. I'm sure, Chris, did you check in on this game at all? I checked in on it, yep, yep, and uh, was was a little tight early. Um, but, yeah, that, that offense so tough to defend. And Murray, obviously, the athletic guy who can get out and, and find some throwing windows to sort of compensate from that at times. Um, Oklahoma still looks really good. I mean, there, there are a lot. this is another one of those games like <clears throat> Wisconsin. New Mexico hung around with Wisconsin a little bit early. You know, uh, another game, you know, the Penn State pit game, pit hung around early. And then th these good teams just really, really <laughs> started to pull away 
right after that. But uh, what stood out to me the most is UCLA. I mean, it's been a rough start for them. I, I don't think anybody expected miracles in Chip Kelly's first season, but uh, it's been a rough start with them having to go out and, you know, they lose game one to Cincinnati, who's not all that great. I mean, uh, I know UCLA is exceptionally young, uh, and I'm sure that didn't help them against one of the country's elite teams in Oklahoma. Yeah, well, guess what? I mean, they got a lot of talent on that roster, so I'm not cutting them that much slack, if, in my opinion, based on their recruit, recruiting rankings. If we're going to brag about right. them being five stars and Clemson, I can tell you there's five stars on UCLA that are not even playing right now, uh, none of which are from my states. We'll just put it that way. Um, all right, <laughs> moving on. Auburn beats Alabama State uh, 63-9. to Obviously, we're not going to talk about that one. I kind of like Alabama State Stadium, though, whenever I'm driving through. Uh, is it in Montgomery? Is that where it is? Never even been there. Never even been there. Yeah. They got a cool stadium right off the highway, I think, when you're, when you're driving through town. So uh, Anthony Schwartz, the uh, super fast wide receiver, uh, had a touchdown. That was pretty cool. Did check that out. Notre Dame struggled with Ball State. 24-16 definite hangover. Brandon Wimbush throws three interceptions in that game. Uh, Miles Boykin had 119 yards receiving. All you know, these teams from the MAC—they're tricky every year, aren't they? Don't they seem? I mean, we saw Purdue lost to Eastern Michigan. You know, the the teams down here in the in the Southeast, you know, they, they don't that they usually play the Sun Belt teams, and I feel like the Sun Belt teams never get wins. The the MAC teams are always upsetting somebody. You notice that? Yeah, they really are. They they have a lot of teams that are going to be difficult outs every year and Wimbush I mean it showed through I think Notre Dame fans are like perpetually like mortified every time you know Brandon Wimbush takes the field that like he can give you some brilliance but he he may also give you a little bit of a of a wolf performance and uh that was that was that was certainly one of them but but Jalen Elliott really sort of helped bail them out um Notre Dame you know can't figure out how good they're a good team you can't figure out how good. Like, are they are they possibly college put football playoff good? Are they two or three loss good? It's sort of hard to figure out based on the first couple weeks because I you know I still don't really know what Michigan is. You know, which is their week one opponent, Ball State. While a, a tough Mac out, as you said, is not an elite team by any means, and and they sort of squeak by on that one. So difficult to tell what they are so far. All right, moving on. Uh, Washington rebounds after their loss to Auburn. They beat North Dakota forty-five to three in a game that also was close early. I think it was like you know, I, saw, I saw the score for a while. Uh, it was like something like seventeen to to uh, to nothing early in the second quarter. Um, Jake Hayner comes in as the backup. You know, somehow Washington has all these highly ranked quarterbacks, and none of them are playing besides Jake Browning. I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know who Jake Hayner is. I've never heard his name before in my life, but I, I saw some people tweeting, oh, it's a quarterback controversy. He went, I guess he was class of 2017. He was a three star from California, but, uh, you know, he was seven for seven. So there were people joking, uh, you know, could he come in and take Browning's job? Not going to happen. Uh, this game was good. Moving on, Stanford seventeen to three over USC in a game I expected to be high scoring. Stanford's defense, I mean, boy, they talk about a come to come to earth moments for five star freshman JT Daniels. He threw two interceptions. Bryce Love looked like his old self after struggling in week one, uh, and they, they really held down. I mean, USC's offense could not do hardly anything. And even though Stanford didn't exactly blow the doors off either, they did plenty to win. 
I didn't get to watch much. This was the the later game of the night. Did you check it out, Chris? Uh, I saw a little bit of it. Um, actually, we we do a little staff pick them on Gamecock Central that I'm absolutely getting waxed in. By the way. Um, and, uh, I actually, I, I believe if memory serves, I don't have it in front of me. I think I picked Southern Cal in this game, which is really stupid, uh, in hindsight, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Stanford, they, like you said, they didn't do a ton, but they were efficient, you know, enough. KJ Costello had a, had a, uh, very tidy, I guess you could say performance, not a star studded performance. And then Bryce Love from North Carolina. Uh, another solid performance, 22 carries, 136 yards. A guy that South Carolina did not, for some reason, push for, um, even though his dad was an athlete at South Carolina. Um, and uh, But, yeah, another good performance by them. And, yeah, their defense was just dominating. I mean, what, two picks for JT Daniels. Um, so just, just a tough outing for yeah. Southern Cal. So Stanford plays UC Davis next week, and then they go to Oregon on the 22nd, which is now setting up to be a really good matchup. I think Stanford – right now uh, should be viewed as a, as, as a potential outsider here right now. If, if we're looking at Pac-12 teams, I would give the edge to them over Washington right now in terms of having a chance to uh, to make the playoff. And now I put Oregon third in that mix. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Bryce Love and uh, his dad, who uh, might still text me. I'm not sure. <laughs> I thought he texted me Bryce's stats. Hey, look. <laughs> hey, he was, our, he was a runner-up for the Heisman. Did you hear about that? Right. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> but uh, how about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside? He was oh, from man. South Carolina. What what yeah. what was that a was that a Spurrier thing? What, every I, every Stanford game, there's at least one threat on our board. You know, after JJ catches at least a touchdown in every game or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean he that was an interesting one. I mean he was a guy that South Carolina just sort of dilly dallied is the best word I could come up with. On it's sort of like the Quinshaw Davis deal where they're sort of back and forth on pushing for him, not pushing for him. And by the time they came in sort of later in the process with the firm, you know, here we go, it's on, it was just sort of too late, you know. And and, and J.J. was sold on that point at Stanford and how they recruited him throughout. So uh, certainly a guy that they, they could have used, I think, over, over the years and, and, a, and a really good player. Well, I remember, you know, we talked about it last week. He had like 200 yards last week. Uh, I, you go back and look at his profile. I wrote about him like on top performers like 10 different times, and I – Still didn't rank him as a four star. I don't know why uh, I did that. So, <laughs> well, he you looked, at, you watched him play, and he had sort of an odd gait in terms of how he ran. You know, like and he and he wasn't super fast. He's just one of those guys that just got it done. I mean, you know, you watched him play at Dorman. He was just super productive, and uh, you know, he was a basketball kid. So he's a good leaper uh, and had great hands. And uh, it's it's projected. He's done quite well for himself. Yeah, I think both of his parents played sports at uh, App State, and uh, yeah, I th- there's an analysis video though that sometimes comes on in my so some any audio recording that's from my computer got imported into my iTunes somehow. So sometimes I'll plug it in and it'll just start playing like me doing a voiceover analysis for a video, and one of them is JJ Sega Whiteside, and it's me saying, "If you want a guy who can just go up and make tough catches." You know, great red zone target. This is exactly what he's going to do. And I'm just like, what, what is? why didn't you rank him higher? Jabroni. <laughs> um, stupid. So moving on, LSU 31 to nothing over southeastern Louisiana. This was the game that the guy in the press box had to see. Um, a lot of their freshmen played well in that game. I saw uh, Jamar Chase catch a touchdown. So LSU definitely off to a good start so far, 2-0. and 
Uh, Virginia Tech, they beat William and Mary, also known as Bill and Mary, uh, 63-17. Uh, Josh Jackson looked good in that game. Uh, Damon Hazleton, the transfer from Ball State. Man, if he would have if he would have stayed at Ball State, they might have beat Notre Dame. That probably put him <laughs> over the edge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he had four, four catches for 107 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Penn State and Pitt. Boy, this was uh, so much trash talk on our on our pit uh, message board leading up to this game uh, on our pit rival site pantherlair.com and guess what they get hammered Penn State 51 to 6. I like, you know, James Franklin is uh you know, he seems like like a nice guy but he definitely will uh will kick some dirt in your face, right? I mean, <laughs> he he probably could have called off the dogs. They scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, I was watching that because I had predicted that this game would be under, um, I forget what the total number was, but I, I thought Penn State was going to win. Under 54, it ends up going at 57 because Franklin put up 21 in the fourth quarter. So, uh, ouch. Sorry. Sorry, Vegas fans. That Penn State looks like uh, they're not missing Barkley much at this point, though, don't you think? Well, yeah, that and, <clears throat> you know, the big question was, hey, losing Joe Moorhead. I mean, he Joe Moorhead, I think, probably – probably still, even though people talk about it a lot, doesn't give enough credit for what he did with that offense. And certainly they had talent, you know, with Barkley and Trace McSorley, those guys, some really good receivers. But they were awful when Moorhead got there on offense. Part of that was youth. But he did a great job uh, before he moved on to Mississippi State. So I think that was a question mark, just losing him, the impact of that, and losing Saquon Barkley. And, yeah, they're, they're still rolling along pretty well, and they've done a great job recruiting up there, no doubt. Uh, West Virginia, they win fifty-two to seventeen. They're looking pretty good uh, through two. Their defense actually looking pretty good uh, as they shut down Tennessee last week. Uh, upset of the week: Arizona State beats Michigan State sixteen to thirteen. Herm Edwards, yeah, spent so much time making fun of him. The Twitter on this podcast. Guess what? He's got his team two and zero. This was a kind of a tough situation for Michigan State to go down there play. I think the game kicked off at. 10:30 Eastern was that the time? I mean, it was it was super late. Yep. I mean, this game was on till about two in the morning, and uh, it, bottom line, it was just a great it was a great fourth quarter for Arizona State. They got Nikhil Harry, who is viewed by many to be one of the top wide receivers uh, for next year's NFL draft. Uh, they kind of kept him, you know, relatively in check. He had 89 yards and a touchdown. But I mean, Michigan State, I don't know what's up, man. They can't run the ball. I mean. 63 yards rushing. I mean, Herm Edwards is a defensive coach. Uh, but, but guess what? You know, Herm is the real deal. Are you surprised, Chris, that, that <laughs> this win and that they're 2-0? A little bit. I almost picked Arizona State in this game. I think I didn't at the end because I'm stupid on, on picks and I'm really bad at them. But, I mean, it's like you not ranking Arcega Whiteside as a four-star. You're like, that's your opinion, but you still don't do it. And so I, I didn't pull the trigger on that. And uh, – yeah, I mean, it was, again, now, could Michigan State be sort of overvalued? That's very possible, but, I don't, you know, regardless, I think what they've done, what Herm Edwards has done so far at Arizona State has been pretty impressive, and uh, whatever odd, oddball, weird formula he has there, it's, it's worked so far for them. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes the rest of the year. Well, I did hear from a lot of the people down there that he lets the players just live their lives, man. He, he treats them like pros. They're not monitoring them all the time. They're they're kind of giving them enough, uh, giving them enough rope to uh, or leash to to hang themselves or whatever, exp- whatever that expression is. And they they haven't done it. They're enjoying the freedom. 
And uh, that was the feedback I got from people who've been on campus there. So that's something to to watch. Arizona State could be sneaky in that Pac-12 South because Arizona stinks, as we, as we found out. And uh, USC's already got a loss. So watch yeah. out. If Herm came in and won the Pac-12 or won the Pac-12 South, uh, that would be amazing because we all just made fun of him so much. So, <laughs> yeah. um, uh-oh, there we go. Get a little crackling. We got to keep moving. Mississippi State beats Kansas State 30, 31 to 10. Um, big win for the Bulldogs. Uh, I don't know what's up with, with, uh, Kansas state. They stink. They're terrible. Um, uh, we're, you're definitely going, Chris. We're definitely losing Chris. <laughs> you hear yourself crackling? I do not. I do not right now. I hear no crackling. You're crackling. All right. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to run through them, Chris, real quick. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on your last legs. Mississippi State wins. Boise State 62-7 to over UConn. They bounce back. Uh, Michigan wins 49-3. to Miami 77 to nothing. And last but not least, Kentucky upsets Florida. Breaks the streak. Wins 27-16. to This was a game we were probably going to have you talk about. You still, you're still with us, Chris. I'm still here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm You've gone full robot, as Rob would say. So I will handle this one on my own. Uh, Benny Snell, 27 carries for 175 yards. It's going to be uh, – the rebuild is, is not complete in Florida, and this was tough. I know the fans were uh, were really hurting on Twitter last night. We can talk – we will talk more about that on the main show during the week. Uh, we thank Chris for joining us. Chris, don't say anything because you sound like a robot uh, as, as your, your internet is giving out of us at the last minute. But we really appreciate it. Check out Chris at GamecockCentral.com. And I believe his Twitter account is Chris. His game, I think it's <laughs> – I'm going to look it up right now as I should have it memorized. It is uh, GC Chris Clark, uh, and he is verified. So take that. Uh, we'll, and uh, Thanks for joining us, Chris. We'll be back with a new episode. Uh, next uh, Thursday, and we'll be back next Sunday with our typical recap. 